Good morning. This is a thought I had coming up on the uh, car ride yesterday. Um, this is what a Zen family does for summer vacation. And um, it was interesting for me to notice uh, because Greg and I went to Vermont a couple weeks ago. And um, I always say that is my happy place. It's quiet, there's nobody around, there's no schedule, we could do whatever we want, we have the dogs. And. Um, I had a lovely time there. But I noticed on the couple of days before we were getting ready to go, I felt a different kind of excitement coming here. It was like a joy, a deep, deep joy. And Greg, I could see, had this deep, deep joy. And I think this is like my favorite thing to do. Um, so this feels better than vacation for me. It, to be with all of you um, in this way is a dream. It's a dream that um, we've had since we started Zen Center. And it's a dream that we continue to keep alive through Greg's many hours on Zillow. <laughs> we've explored this dream in so many different ways. and. Um, so it feels um, quite impactful to actually be here doing this in this way. And um, it's such an amazing thing to find this center, right, that feels so uh, just like this with the way we practice and with our values, that bookcase of like this thing of anarchy <laughs> materials. <laughs> and, I mean, what? Wow. <laughs> and all those lists of things to do and what not to do, it's like, oh, this feels just like home, you know? Um, and, and to stop and pause and remember um, what an incredible blessing it is to be able to be together in this way to be able to study the Dharma, surrounded in this beautiful valley, to be able to um, wake up together, eat meals together that we don't have to cook. <laughs> it's lovely to cook, but <laughs> for anybody who's been Tenzo, it's really lovely not to cook. <laughs> and to, um, and to uh, have the teachings uh, be offered to us. So this week is really, to me, um, so much about Suzuki Roshi uh, because uh, this is a teaching that he um, offered us and we have a very specific teaching. So um, I'm going to be um, using Suzuki Roshi a lot. It's, it's interesting because um, for this talk, You know, sometimes I try to gather things from all these different sources, and it's like this retreat. Everything is here. Everything we need is here. And um, for me, in terms of teachers, I'll talk more about the different kinds of teachers, but it's like it's, it's just Suzuki Roshi. So I'm going to keep quoting Suzuki Roshi as a way of, of helping 
him come into this room and to support me as I try to um, share this. So this is what's <coughs> Bless you, Ian. Oh, that reminds me. I wanted to take a moment at the beginning of Sashin as opposed to the end of Sashin uh, to express uh, my gratitude to Ian. We said, um, he brought this up in March, do we want to do this? We talked about it. And we said, yes. And, um, and we said, do you want to, would you be willing to be Eno again? I said, yes. <laughs> So for six months, he's been guiding this process to bring us here, and um, I know it was a lot of work, yes, and it was also um, a lot of joy, and so anyway, thank you, Ian, so much for helping us get here. So Suzuki Roshi says, to practice is not to collect things and put them in your basket, but rather to find something in your sleeve. It's just that before you study hard, you don't know you have what you have in your sleep. So you could say this week, uh, we're gonna try and discover what we have up our sleeves that maybe we didn't know before we came into this. I call it a valley, is it a valley? There's, uh, yeah, I'm, so, I'm going to read this poem. We'll just read it over and over and over again as a way of getting into our bodies. Um, so I'll start with the translation that was, um, says, translation by Sotoshu Lithurgy Conference in Green Gulch Farm in 1997 with minor revisions. The harmony of difference and equality. And as you listen to it, uh, just listen to it with your body, not your mind. The mind of the great sage of India is intimately transmitted from west to east. While human faculties are sharp or dull, the way has no northern or southern ancestors. The spiritual source shines clearly in the light. The branching streams flow on in the dark. Grasping at things is surely delusion. According with sameness is still not enlightenment. All of the objects of the senses interact and yet do not. Interaction brings in, interacting brings involvement, otherwise each keeps its place. Sights vary in quality and form. Sounds differ as pleasing or harsh. Refined and common speech come together in the dark. Clear and murky phrases are distinguished in the light. The four elements return to their natures just as a child turns to its mother. Fire heats, wind moves, water wets, earth is solid. Eye and sight, ear and sound, nose and smell, tongue and taste. Thus, for each and everything, depending on these roots, the leaves spread forth. Trunk and branches share the essence. Revered in common, each has its speech. In the light, there is darkness, but don't take it as darkness. In the dark there is light, but don't see it as light. Light and dark oppose one another like front and back foot in walking. Each of the myriad things has its merit expressed according to function and place. Phenomenon exists like box and j lid joining. Principle accords like arrow points meeting. Hearing the words, understand the meaning. Don't set up standards of your own 
If you don't understand the way right before you, how will you know the path as you walk? Progress, practice, is not a matter of far or near, but if you are confused, mountains and rivers block your way. I respectfully urge you who study the mystery, don't pass your days and nights in vain. So this poem was written by our eighth century an eighth ancestor in China, Sekito Kisan. And so the first line is, the mind of the great sage of India is intimately transmitted from west to east. So um, Greg is going to go into more detail in class, that translation. But um, this line, just to start with this first line, the translation can be more accurately stated this way. The great sage of India has been intimately and mutually transmitted between west and east. So can you feel the difference as opposed to a one direction, one giving to the other, there's a mutuality and a back and forth. And that is, um, I think, an essential part of understanding this teaching. So the Dharma, our Dharma, this, this lineage, was not just transmitted from India, China, Japan to us. It is being also transmitted from here to there. The teachings are not just transmitted from teacher to student, but from student to teacher not just from past to present, but present to past. And in this teaching, what is being pointed to, um, which I think is so encouraging, and is that it's a mutually influencing relationship. Everything is a mutually influencing relationship. With each side offering something valuable and unique to the other side. to say side is a little, it, it, it doesn't, it's not quite right, because if you say sides, it, it feels as if there's two separate things. <laughs> this, is, this is why things are in poems. It is uh, so intimate, it's so intimate, the influence, the intimacy, the relationship, it's like a, there's not even a gap in between, and yet they're not one, and they're not two. <laughs> So it's kind of like more like this. <coughs> and um, at this moment, that might feel kind of abstract, like an intellectual idea. And for me, the excitement is to feel the aliveness of that, the, the, um, the possibility of that, not as an idea, but as an, exper as, as an experiential awareness. And um, that's what I'm hoping with the support of nature is that uh, nature is transmitting to us this mutuality and we're transmitting it back to the valley. So, um, <coughs> so Sando Kai actually means, uh, <coughs> speaks to this. So, San things. And again, Greg might play with this and, and 
challenge this even, this translation, but this is what Suzuki Roshi says, San is things, Do, oneness, and Kai is shaking hands, <laughs> so like a friendship, so San Do Kai, one and many shaking hands. So each moment we're in, each moment is a gift, offering something up. And we are offering a gift back to each moment. So this is the self-receiving and employing. And the implications of this is um, that everything we do, do, everything we do, everything we do matters. There's not anything that we think, feel, experience, no action that we take that does not have an influence on the whole. That's a lot of power, isn't it? And, um, and we don't have to tense up because we are constantly being supported and submerged in the whole that is taking care of us. So this teaching is always back and forth how the whole includes everything and everything is included in the whole. Lovely teaching, but we don't really think this way <laughs> and we don't feel this way. So, um, So as social animals, we are um, we spend a lot of our time trying to protect ourselves, make sure we're safe, and um, we just hit these points where we don't our bodies, our minds, our histories, all of our conditioning do not say it's okay to relax and just trust the moment, you know. <laughs> I just laugh because you know this is my this is my hot seat for testing that out always I always talk about it but you know and and um, and preparing for this machine I was like well I'm not really gonna um, prepare a talk how's that right I'm feeling pretty trusting of my mind and body Greg's like great um, prepare a talk <laughs> well, I have eight pages here but um, <laughs> but there's something different I I I. Um, there's some part of me that's that's um, feeling and listening and feeling the whole support of all of you, right? You are not these um, people out there, right? I'm just feeling the breeze, feeling the ease, um, enjoying that lovely walk with Terence up the steps. So we're all, you know, we're all doing this together. But most of the time, myself included, we are feeling separate. We are navigating, trying to feel physically safe, emotionally safe, trying to make sure or sensing or being um, vigilant. Are we being respected? Are we being loved? Are we being valued in this moment? Do we belong? And 
And so that becomes um, our project. You know, we lose contact with this okayness, with our unique value because we are uh, nothing other than the whole and also the, the, the most unique manifestation of the whole. And then we do this great thing in Zen. You know, we even try to possess oneness. <laughs> I'm laughing at myself. I keep thinking, you know, once I get that deep, really deep taste of oneness, I can just give a talk. I don't have to worry. You know, I don't have to, um, I don't have to feel anxious anymore. You know, but I, it, it's not something we can control and hang on to and protect as ours. And we don't have to worry about using it to elevate ourselves, you know? So Suzuki Roshi says, I mean, um, Sekido says, you know, um, while human faculties are sharp or dull, the way has no northern or an southern ancestors. It does not matter, sharp or dull, you know? I've got it, I'm brilliant, I am stupid, I cannot get this. What are you talking about? Does not matter from that perspective. So um, we don't need to use that. We can, we can put that away. We don't have to suffer in that way. Um, and any system, any community has its own attainment goals, right? Or what will get you <coughs> in the most inside or what, what will threaten you and make you feel like you're on the outside. So when we do that, we lose this ground of oneness, of, of interdependence. And the teaching of this poem and of Zen is that um, we don't have to worry about it. We don't have to try to get anything. This is, um, this is our birthright. It's not even our birthright, it's like our, uh, our reality. It's one way of feeling reality. And Zazen is to help us feel into that reality. And why is this important? Besides, I think there's a, a relief from our own suffering and feeling of separation that causes so much anxiety, is um, we recognize that when we grasp this one side, we create tremendous harm. When we do this, when we try to protect ourselves, whether subtle or blatant, um, we do it at the expense of the whole. It's, it's like you can't put a tear in the hole, but it feels like a tear in the hole. You know, we, this is what, you know, when we're depressed, right? We feel completely separated. We feel separate from, from love, from connection. But the other thing we do is when we feel separate from the whole, in order, what we do to the supposed other is we reduce the value of the full subjectivity of the other being. So we, we miss our own full subjectivity and then we reduce the other full subjectivity. And that is exactly what creates the conditions for harm, for exploitation, and for violence. You know, there, there are, um, these um, things I could point to out in the world that are examples of this. I don't really need to do that, um, you're well aware, but I'll give a, an example because it can be found in the particulars of what we do. So 
And I think for Sashin and, and being in a, in a contained environment, kind of away from the world, we can find it in, in, in here. So I'll give you an example, it was before we got here, but um, a couple of days ago, I was um, in my unique <laughs> way, I was running around cleaning the house. Um, we were having somebody come and watch our, our dogs. So it was time for me to take the garbage out. And when I took the garbage out, I realized, because I'd run out of compost bags, I put food in the garbage, and it was so hot. And the garbage was filled with um, fruit flies and ants. So what did I do? Did I, did I, did I appreciate the full subjectivity of those ants and those fruit flies? No, I did not. <laughs> I wanted to get that kitchen cleaned. I didn't like all those little bugs being in my garbage can. And, um, and I had the thought, the thought arose, you know, this is um, harm. As I started sp spraying and splatting them. Um, but I didn't care. I, I, want, I was exerting my side at the expense of the whole. Now, that does not mean we can't necessarily uh, kill. We kill all the time. Um, but I didn't stop to feel the heartbreak of it. And that's the important thing. And I asked Greg, I, I said to Greg, what, what, what do we do? I, I'm, I'm killing all these animals. He said, uh, go chant the Dahishin Durrani when you're done. <laughs> But I have too much to do it now. <laughs> I do not do it. So this is a, maybe a silly example, but um, this is the conditions that happen that um, we forget. We think we're above the precepts where we might um, misuse sexuality with a student or with another person. This is it. We we forget the whole. So this poem from eighth century China is actually very relevant for us. And in fact, one of the reasons he wrote this poem at the time, that Sekito wrote it, is that there were two schools of Zen: the northern school and the southern school. And each of them thought they had the um, right way of doing Zen and the other person had the wrong way of doing Zen. And, and there was actually a lot of antagonism and, and war, right? So we create war ourselves, even within um, Zen. And we create it inside of ourselves. So one of the most basic ways we do this, again, which the poem is talking to, which is um, how do you not grasp onto a side? So some of us have this story that we tell ourselves. Suffering is bad, i.e. me, and it's right here. This is bad. Enlightenment is good, and it's over there in some galaxy far, far away. <laughs> or we have the other story, and we go back and forth. You know, suffering is bad, and it's over there. It's really Yoko, the way she sits at her seat, really, it's just so bad. <laughs> and I actually know what I'm doing over here. I, I, I sit nice and straight and proper and it's okay and good is over here. So 
so this poem is an encouragement. Please remember, please remember to uh, make peace with ourselves and our world and to do that by not forgetting the whole. And that this is the really radicalness, I think, of this teaching, which is each and everything, and, and it's saying everything, the ticks out on the lawn are a unique and valuable manifestation of the whole. Our fear, a unique and valuable manifestation of the whole, valuable because it is, and it's part of the whole. I can get with tips, I can get with fear, you know, um, the deforestation, right? Taking children away from their parents, how is that a unique and valuable part of the whole? What, what does that mean? How do we make sense of that? <coughs> we say um, everything is a Dharma gate. How is that a Dharma gate? So I wanted to spend a few minutes um, talking about how we might study this week together to make that really explicit. Because in Zen, you know, we're not given much instruction, even though everything is so precise, particularly around studying. And um, it's interesting. I'm, I'm so immersed in, I'm immersed in Soto Zen that when I started working with Seb and hearing about insight and how they do things, I thought, oh, how do we study? We don't have a curriculum. What is this? How do we, how do we know what we're doing? So um, I think it's helpful to kind of just talk about the ways that we, and we might take advantage of this week as a way of, of a Zen way of studying. So um, I love this in, in the Branching Streams. Um, this is the book that we're talking about, Branching Streams, Flow in the Dark. dark. It's Suzuki Roshi's lectures on the Sendokai. He says um, in one of his lectures that his teacher once told him that even though it doesn't help, before lecture you should study. <laughs> <laughs> and this is always the thing, you know, study doesn't matter, you know, beautiful, joyous valley, just concrete and stone and garage doors, you know, um, how do we always hold those two? So I am, um, I'm maybe a little embarrassed to say, but not so embarrassed, that after um, 20 years, of um, studying Zen, I still am trying to figure out how do I study Zen. I haven't quite figured it out. Um, how do I engage these teachings? So um, one of the things that I did this week uh, was, uh, and this is what I usually do, turn to a teacher first. So I turned to Suzuki Roshi, and I read his book, and uh, it wasn't just his words that I was trying to understand, but to feel Suzuki Roshi. And, you know, it's like um, being assigned to do this, studying <coughs> to have to teach, gave me this great opportunity to more intimately engage with this group teacher that I heard so much about. So first I feel so grateful. So he gave these lectures 
1970, which was like a year and a half before he died, and someone was uh, wise enough to record, they had a, a Terence at the time who was wide, wise enough to record the lectures, so all the lectures are recorded and, um, and, and um, put together. So the students captured these and transcribed them and created this book. And when I was at um, City Center, I remember going down in the basement, that's where you had to put the garbage out, and I passed this little room which had no windows and a little hole, and Bill Redekin was there listening to Suzuki Roshi's lectures and trying to translate them. So here it is, you know, his work right here today. And um, Suzuki Roshi says, you know, Zen is not something to talk about, it's something to experience in a true sense. So when I, um, the other thing that was amazing is people video recorded him. And so watching Suzuki Roshi walking down the path, and he was ill at that time, and you can kind of see it in his face, um, and he was moving rocks all around Tassahara in the middle of the sun, probably in a day as hot as this is. So when you guys were all doing those um, cushions yesterday, I thought of you, like in Suzuki Roshi's um, spirit. So when I was watching, I was looking at his face, and I was looking at the way he moved and how he smiled, and to me, this was his transmission. This was the teaching right there. And um, I thought about those who studied with him, Rab, Tia, Leslie, and what, how did they embody the teachings? So this is what we're doing this week ourselves. We are embodying the teachings and transmitting them to each other and um, to whoever might come after us. So 40 years later, here we are, and um, I was thinking to myself that some of you, and either some of you or maybe some of your students, 48 years from now, might be sitting in some sort of space, God is willing that we have a space to sit in, we have a planet to, that we're here, transmitting the teachings to your students. So uh, we can study primarily through Zazen as we sit, uh, we can watch uh, the, the self start to quiet down, start to relax start to, um, the boundaries start to loosen up a little bit and maybe it's like it creates the opportunity for us to feel into the wholeness. Also, we're going to study uh, in a very uh, intellectual way through class. And um, I, I don't want to, I, I always use Greg as an example, but he's my teacher. What can I say? I love to watch the way Greg studies. Um, he takes a teaching, he'll take, he took his translation, and he didn't just like say, okay, here's a translation, what do I think of it, you know? He engaged that translation. He didn't just take the face value of it. He wanted to know the Chinese roots, the, the Japanese roots. He started to challenge the translation. Can you believe it? <laughs> I can believe it, but from my perspective as a working class woman who just is like, you just take authority and, and take it in as you're told, how, 
he, he created a dialogue with the ancestors, a conversation with them. And this, to me, is what, what the ancestors are asking of us, you know? So it's an inspiration, I'm saying, Greg's way. Um, and that's how the teachings become alive. So I hope this week we can take up a great spirit and have a kind of loving, engaged dialogue um, of not understanding or challenging or not assuming, like what does this mean for us? And um, two other things I want to mention before we stop. Uh, we're also going to study this teachings through the forms. So we put our body through the Zen forms to bring this Buddha nature to life for us. And if you study in this way, if you drop into a, any particular, it doesn't matter what the particular is, it will open you up to the whole. So I'll, I'll give you an example. Um, when, when we're tired and the wake-up bell rings, we're tired, we don't want to wake up. If we just go with that side, if we just go with that part <coughs> of ourselves that is tired and doesn't want to wake up, and that's fine, that's there, that's part of the whole. But we acknowledge the whole by not getting caught in the tiredness. We don't stop at the tiredness. We widen our self-view. So what do we widen it to? Well, let's just start, you know. <coughs> the wake-up bell rings, I'm tired. Ah, I had an aspiration to practice. Oh, widening it up. I committed to the Eno. I told him I would follow the schedule. I have to include the Eno. <laughs> All my Sangha members, they're also tired too, probably, um, but they're getting up. I need to include them. These lovely hosts at Watershed created this space for us to practice and mowed the lawn and um, offered us the spirit. Can I include them? Can I include my family and friends um, who came, who, who actually gave us permission to come and sit here? Can I include them? Can I include all those who are suffering from pain, who aren't able to practice here, and we're practicing on behalf of them? Can I include all those who are victims of systemic violence, and they're not able to come here? I know I'm practicing on behalf of them. So we just um, somehow, again, not intellectually, but maybe intellectually at first, we just keep widening and widening and widening it. And I think what happens is in our bodies through these forms, ultimately, the bell rings, and as Suzuki Roshi says, you just get up and go to the zendo. We, there's, there's like, uh, the vow is so deep, we don't even have to think about it anymore. It's just there. And that's what is, uh, we want to have permeating through uh, the practice of the forms. And then, um, finally, I just say, um, we can study this every single moment. So when you go to the bathroom and you're maybe wiping your body off with the towel, you can say to yourself, you know, in this moment, what is the one and the many? What does it look like? What does it sound like? How can I feel into it? You know, uh, if everything is a gift offering and we're offering back, as I feel the gift of the treeness, you know, what's the gift of rottenness? 
offering something back to the tree. What is that? It's a way of, it's a way of um, trying to realize something. So um, our spiritual practice is to remember the spiritual source. And um, the uh, teaching that maybe we start to find things up our sleeves. we can begin to appreciate and relax and allow ourselves to just be who we are. We can have appreciation for ourselves, whether we're interesting or dull, <laughs> whether we're happy or sad or angry or frustrated. You know, this is why Susan Grish, she says, when Zen, you are you, Zen is Zen, you know? So how do we kind of not fight with ourselves anymore? because your suffering is also part of your wholeness. So in a moment of suffering, how might you see that as wholeness? <coughs> and um, and uh, the last thing I would say is that um, for me, and, and I think for all of you, you probably wouldn't be here today, is that um, when we tap into wholeness, I think one of the most beautiful fruits of that of our sleep is gratitude. So we begin to have gratitude. And we can feel and be impacted by small kindnesses. So I'll just end with Suzuki Roshi's words. And I could say this is what I think it feels like to swim in the spiritual source. Suzuki Roshi. <coughs> If you can just appreciate each thing one by one, then you will have pure gratitude. Even though you observe just one flower, that one flower includes everything. It is not just a flower. It is the absolute, it is Buddha herself. We see it in that way. But at the same time, that which exists is just a flower and there's no one to see it and nothing to be seen. That is the feeling we should have in our practice and our everyday activity. Then, whatever work you do, you will have a continuous feeling of pure gratitude. So, there's so much to be grateful for here. So I think it's, we have a kind of a jump start. <laughs> quiet, the swimming hole, the food to start, each other, and um, I hope this week allows all of us to drop into this um, transmission that has been going on forever, and um, also one in which we're, we're kind of taking and making particular. So we're taking up Suzuki Roshi's request and we're gathered here together and we're going to study this. So, um, let's transmit. Thank you for listening to this podcast offered by the Brooklyn Zen Center. 
Our programs are given free of charge and made possible by the donations we receive. For more information on supporting Brooklyn Zen Center, please visit the giving section of brooklynzen.org.